I mean, why am I even up here? Well, uh, good. Good to be with you. Uh, I'm just going to turn this microphone off. Thanks for the, uh, the grace as we got our little ones enjoying. You can see some of what uh, God's doing in Burden Kids. It's exciting. And uh, if you're new or visiting, just glad you're here with us. This is our Christmas Eve Eve service where we just uh, get to, again, enjoy, remember, and reflect upon what uh, God has done for us in Christ uh, this Christmas season. So if you're here with a friend, if you're a neighbor, coworker, family member, just glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Mike, one of the pastors here, and we just uh, have been enjoying walking through our season of Advent. Advent very simply means that uh, we get to look at and remember the arrival of Jesus Christ in his birth and remember and anticipate uh, his second advent, which is when he will come again. And so uh, we've been going through this, this book called Philippians, where the writer of the Apostle Paul is writing this letter, and we, we're seeing really a, a picture, a good theology of Christmas in verses 5 to 11. So uh, we're going to get there in just a second. So if you have a Bible, you can go to Philippians 2, uh, 5 through 11. I wanted to let you all know, if you are uh, a regular attender with us, part of our church family, uh, God has been exceedingly generous to us uh, and just uh, through the hands and feet of you all. Uh, so we're always looking for ways to uh, be more generous as a church. Um, God came in the most generous sense in giving us himself. So we want to be an endless generous supply to the nations and to uh, those around us. And so um, we wanted to go above and beyond what we uh, give. Every year we try to give at minimum 10% of what we give. So we've given through benevolence and through mission and church planting. I think close to $60,000 or more this year. And we want to give more than that, and so what we're going to do uh, is Pastor Wilson, one of the ministries and partners of ours in Haiti, he's planting churches, he's doing a phenomenal work, uh, he's having to expand his space and build out a balcony and do some work with handicapped families uh, this time of year, and so we're writing him a check for about twelve to 13000 that'll go uh, to his ministry in Haiti, so you can pray for that uh, ministry. We're also going to be partnering with uh, a guy in Pakistan who's been doing faithful ministry through uh, the Acts 29 Network, we're a part we're going to give him a couple thousand dollars in Pakistan as a Christmas gift. Just in case you're wondering, um, like $1,500 is like his year's salary. Uh, so this is going to go tremendously far uh, for this brother in Pakistan. And then we're also going to give, um, the, the network we're a part of is doing a thousand for a thousand. They're looking for a thousand churches to give a thousand dollars so they can continue to plant and be aggressive, getting a million dollars to go into unreached regions, Middle East, different pockets and places. So we gave an extra thousand to uh, the network too. So I wanted to encourage you in that, that we pray God uses these funds, that, that, that he owns all things and that, and that he would use these for the glory of his name. Um, secondly, before we get into our text this morning and pray. Uh, we have been memorizing Philippians 2, 5 to 11, doing this as a church. So if you're new or visiting and you're like, whoa, I didn't know I was supposed to memorize something. You weren't. It's okay. You can listen in on us. I even had some people write me this week and say, Pastor Mike, I didn't realize we were doing the English Standard Version. If I had known, I would have memorized it. Now, it's just a stupid justification for you not memorizing it. Okay, so... Um, we're going to say it. Those of us who memorize it in the most holy standard, the ESV, uh, we are going to say this. We're going to recite this. I hope you have it. This is the big test for me since I've been out of the pulpit the last two weeks. Uh, we believe that God says not just to read his word but to meditate on it uh, because it is life itself. And so on the count of three, we're going to recite Philippians 2, 5 through 11. If you did not do this, you can look down at the card or your Bible, and if you did, you can resist the temptation to cheat, okay? All right, one, two, three. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus 
who though he was the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow on heaven and on the earth and under the earth and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. I think some of you did. It's awesome. Okay. Praise God. We're going to pray and we're going to get into our text and, uh, and see what God might have to say. Father, thank you that uh, we're in the season of Advent. Thank you that we get to remember uh, the most supreme gift, that being Christ. God, thank you that you've given us your word. Thank you that you've given us friends and family and neighbors and that you've given us not just time to spend together but time to reflect upon uh, all that you are at Christmas. God, we pray that you would speak. We're thankful that we do not need uh, human speculation, but you've given us divine revelation uh, to know what you've said and to see how you've revealed yourself. Uh, I pray that we might see you as true and see you as good and see you as holy and see you as forgiving and see you as kind and see you as all that you are uh, as we look at this text this morning, the end of this, uh, Philippians 2, 9 to 11. Uh, help us, Father. Encourage us, comfort us, and lift our eyes to things that are more glorious than what we see. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We have been uh, spending four weeks looking at the theology of Christmas from Philippians chapter 2, 5 to 11. And if you look at the bookends, if you listen to kind of the, the, the reciting of that text, basically what you're going to see is the theology of Christmas is that it starts out Jesus is God and ends with Jesus is Lord. So that's fundamentally what you have at Christmas time. Jesus is God, Jesus is Lord. And the reason it does that is because Christmas exists primarily for worship. Uh, the message of Christmas is a message of Worship. Now, why does this matter to us? Um, this matters because all of us, especially in this season, um, are longing to worship something. Uh, and really what this season does, with all its nostalgia and all its dreams and all its longings, uh, is really it just exposes where and how and what you worship. Uh, some of us just, just long for that, that perfect family meal with no dysfunction. Uh, some of us just, just long for maybe the perfect present or the perfect gifts, or maybe for the first time in our lives, life would settle into the line that we've been longing for it to settle into. And so because of that, uh, we need to remember that the coming of Christ as Savior of the world, highly and exalted, that's what we need most. Our hearts actually need to be realigned to worship something greater than what we make. And so uh, what we need at Christmas is Christmas. What we need at Christmas is not what we've added to Christmas, but who inaugurated Christmas and who sustains Christmas, that being Jesus Christ. Here's the question I want to answer in what will be uh, a very short sermon. For some of you, that's my Christmas gift to you. Uh, amen. Uh, one short sermon a year. Uh, that's why all of you are here. All right? So, um, because my bet is this. Uh, regardless of how you came in here, you want to hear good news. Right? I mean, who doesn't want good news? Um, and so here's the question, very simple, that I want to answer this morning. If the message of Christmas is a message of worship, why is that good news? If the message of Christmas is really a message of worship, we're going to see in these three end verses, Philippians 2, 9 to 11, 
Why is that good news? So the past three weeks, we saw Jesus' divinity. Uh, we saw that he was the form of God, that he existed in all the divine attributes of God. He was not only part God, he was fully God. We saw his sovereign position that he abandoned. He accepts a slave's place. He becomes a servant. We see his humanity. Then we saw him basically ascend down into a humble posture. We saw his mind-blowing, unparalleled humility. And then here, you're going to see him be raised as supreme king. So so uh, Paul's basically going to say, because he was fully God, high and exalted, if you were here three weeks ago, try to get to Isaiah 6 again in your head with, with all the angels just saying out, holy, holy, holy. We realize that was Jesus on the throne, his robe filling the temple. He comes in humanity, comes in humility, and because he does all of that, Paul will say this in verse 9. Therefore... Because he came and lived the life you could not live, because he came and died the death you could not die, because he came and paid for your sins in your place, because he rose from death, this is what God did. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." So when Paul says, therefore, he's saying, because of Jesus' unparalleled humiliation, because of him being God, yet, yet coming in the form of a servant, washing the disciples' feet, John 13, because he did not use his strength for exploitation, but to serve his creation, which is insane. He goes, because of that, he's going to be worshipped. Because of that, he's going to be highly exalted. Because of that, even because he was obedient to death on a cross, God raised him from death as a sign of God's satisfaction over his death and then exalted him to his right hand. This is fundamentally Christmas. But look, then he was given a name. What name? Not Jesus. Not Jesus. That's not the name above every name. It's Lord He's Lord, right? I mean, you got, you'll meet plenty of people that name their kids Jesus. Okay, you don't, you don't name your kid Jesus. All of a sudden, they're high and exalted, right? Like, like that's, that's the name. He, that was his earthly name, but, but his heavenly name, his divine name, his worship name is he's Lord. He's king. He's supreme. He's done it. He's made a way for darkness to be pushed back and light to be brought into our souls. He's made a way for forgiveness of sin. That's what we see at Christmas. He, he is Lord. He is God, giving himself away yet remaining God. He is God wearing a king's robe, yet coming and putting on a beggar's rags. Like he is God, yet exposing himself to the plight and pain and sin of this fractured, fallen state that we live in and find ourselves in in this world, never sparing himself until he makes it all the way to the cross, which is the most humble sign and supreme sign and honest sign of what he did for us. He is Lord. Because if he's not Lord, we have no hope of him saving us. So praise God that he is Lord, that that's the name above every name. Now, the one who's most truly humble gets the highest exaltation, right? I mean, so we discussed this last week here for Pastor McKinney's sermon. It was so beautiful. Like, you can't one-up Jesus. Like, none of us are God. So, so we can't humble ourselves to a place where we could be exalted like Jesus. Yet Jesus did this. Jesus humbled himself all the way to the point of death and rose again. This is the essence of Christmas, one of humility that leads to worship. Now, you see this through the whole Bible. 
So if you start in the Old Testament and you start unpacking the Old Testament, you'll see that God gives his people commands, but you'll have to understand those commands were not mostly so you could obey them and keep them, but to see and be revealed in your heart that you can't and need someone who can. So you have this historical merry-go-round, this cul-de-sac of the people of God trying to obey his commands, failing, making a sacrifice for sin, attempting again to obey them, and failing and making a sacrifice for sin. And all the while, there's this message behind the veil through, through prophets, through people who are sent, through judges, through others saying, hey, there's a Savior coming. There's a day coming where you won't need to make a sacrifice for sin, where, where you're trying to find a righteousness outside of yourself will be here. The purity you don't possess will be here. That's going to be Jesus. The Savior's coming. And then 400 years, it just goes silent. It's just dark. There's just nothing being said. And then the inauguration of Christmas. You can look in the Gospels at Luke chapter 2 and other places. The angels, the heavenly hosts, are getting ready to go herald this awesome news. And they're going, where are we going? Where are we going to tell people, finally the day has come where this baby's going to be born, the Savior of the world. Where are we going? We're going to Rome, right? We're going to go to the Temple Mount, right? We're going to go to where the, the brightest and best are. And wait, we're going to shepherds? We're, we're going to a field? I mean, the heavenly hosts that have been eager for eternity. Going, I, I, that's where I'm going, the poor? And when a king gets an announcement, don't you send it to the best and, best and brightest? Don't you roll out the red carpet? Christmas stories always started with humility, mind-blowing humility. And that started with worship. They came, the wise men, the shepherds, they worship Jesus, and it never stops. Worship continues for all of eternity. So here's where the text is driving us. Don't forget who's in the manger. This is who's in the manger. Philippians 2, 9 to 11, high and exalted, fullness of God, dwelled bodily, and baby Jesus. Because this time of year, you know, you read certain passages, you drive by a nativity scene in your neighbor's yard, and you think, oh, cute baby Jesus. Or you think, oh, that's baby Jesus that grew up to be a good teacher. Or you think, oh, that's baby Jesus who was Philippians 2, fully God, fully man, died for sin, rose from death. But it doesn't matter how great or what your view is like, there's always more. He's always greater. He's high and exalted. He's the name above every name. He's the one that came to forgive sin. Man, you have a, a man named Job in the Old Testament. And, and this guy was righteous, one of the most righteous men on the earth who lost everything and still praised God. Look at the end of the book, Job 42.5. My ears heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job's going, I thought I knew how great you were, but then I saw you. You're so great. You're so high. You're so exalted. And I was laid bare. In the New Testament, you have the Apostle John. Man, I, he had a pretty good understanding. Intimacy with Jesus has seemed no one else had. But in Revelation, when he sees Jesus in his glorified state, he said, I fell over as though dead. Right? He's going, man, you were just so big, so good, so holy. More than I ever thought. Look at, um, these are people with a high view of God, guys. Psalm 145, verse 3, Great is the Lord, most worthy of praise is greatness no one can fathom. Remember, this is not just God. This is Philippians 2, 5, and 6. This is Jesus. This is Colossians 1. This is Jesus is the fullness of God. His deity dwells bodily. He is all that God is. 
And when he emptied himself, he wasn't emptying himself of his divine abilities. He was withholding, using some of them, and he was not coming in the fullness of glory. He prays in John 17, Father, I want them to see me in my glory that I had in heaven with you. He restrained it. That's why the Mount of Transfiguration, you see him pull back the veil a little bit. They can't believe his glory. This baby Jesus is the great Lord. Thinking all week about this. I mentioned this on Wednesday night at our worship night. I mean, what would your response be if the baby Jesus was right here? I mean, would your response really be awe? Or would your response be, spoiler alert, the song we're going to sing after the sermon, Oh Holy Night, fall on your knees. This is a divine night. This isn't any other night. This isn't just another baby being born. This isn't, this isn't just, man, this is the, the God-man come incarnate, human flesh, to redeem and reconcile all that's been broken back to himself. Man, the, he's here. That's why everyone that came worshipped him and bowed to him. A baby. We're trained to believe that the older you get and the more accolades you get and the more you prove yourself, that's when people should respect you and listen to you. Uh, he was out of the womb and people did that. They didn't wait to see how he would attribute his life. Now, this is where Philippians 2 becomes so intriguing. So intriguing. (laughs) This Jesus who is God bodily, the fullness of God. You know, powerful things usually struggle with gentleness. Right? I mean, this is the God majestic fullness of God. I mean, people's eyes just got a glimpse of him and had to fall over as though dead. He's so holy. He's so majestic. He's so powerful. He's so glorious. Most powerful things have a tendency to struggle with gentleness. But in Jesus, who's the fullness of God bodily, you have gentleness, humility, meekness, forgiveness, all in the same space. Look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 18. It says this, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. Look at this text, guys. This, this, uh, this immense, majestic, huge, awesome, infinite perfections dwelling God that was full in baby Jesus, he wouldn't break off a bruised reed. He'd hold it till it was healed. Like if he saw a wick that was about to go out, he wouldn't snuff it out with his power and might. He'd actually cup it in his hands and help it rekindle itself. See, see, this is what's amazing about Christmas. This is what you, you see. In Jesus, there's infinite majesty and infinite mercy. There's infinite glory and infinite meekness all in the same space. None of us have ever seen anything like that. We've gotten taste, maybe. But none of us have ever understood this. This is why I want to draw your attention to what Paul says in verse 11. We're just going to stay here for the rest of our time. You can throw it up on the screen. Uh, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. 
that's the same thing the angels say in Luke 2 in their announcement, the grand announcement. They come to the shepherds, apex of human history. They say, hey, I've got good news of great joy. Today in the city of David, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. Well, he better be Christ the Lord, for he has no ability to save. He better be holy and at the same time forgiving. And he better be ferocious and worthy of worship, yet gentle, all at the same time, so we're not crushed. Is God amazing that, that this exists in the, in the same state, in the same place? That this is the message of Christmas. Now, because we all desire good news, why is Christ being Lord good news? Well, I first want to tell you what it's not. Because um, culture and even parts of the evangelical world have just hijacked this and ran wild with it. So let me tell you what it's not, because this needs clarification. Um, some say that the Christ is Lord, the good news of Christmas is we get to be saved from all of our lack of fulfillment. You heard that? Like, okay, so I lack fulfillment. I got a lukewarm marriage. My job's not quite where I want it to be. I want to move up the corporate ladder more. Hey, trust Jesus. The good news of Christmas is he'll save you from some sort of lack of fulfillment you, you have, and he'll boost it. That's not why Jesus Christ being Lord is good news. And that's, that does not create worship. Uh, the other common one is he'll just uh, deliver you from your debilitating passions. And vices, right? So, so whether it's a drug addiction, whether it's a sexual addiction, whether it's you lose your temper, whether it's whatever it is, um, um, trust Jesus and he'll free you from those things. He'll free you from your debilitating passions. So you don't have to struggle with them anymore. Now, can Jesus redeem and heal your marriage? Absolutely. Can Jesus uh, totally rectify and make new all that's broken in you to choose those addictions outside of him? Absolutely. But that's not fundamentally why Christmas is good news, and that's not fundamentally why that leads to worship and exaltation of his name, confessing that he's Lord. Here's why all those eventually break down. Those aren't universal problems. Like, not everybody lives lives unfulfilled. I know very happy people. Maybe some of you are going, I'm really fulfilled. Not everyone has a vice they can't control. I know non-Christians that are more moral than Christians. <laughs> they budget better, steward better, have a cleaner mouth. <laughs> right? I, I mean, that's, these are not universal problems, universal issues. God can do all those things, but that's not why Christ being Lord is good news. Christmas morning is great news because Jesus didn't come to simply save you from your outward actions of sin. That's actually great news that he didn't come to make good people better. That's not why he came. If that was the case, then we fall prey to if you do this sin, you really need saving. If you're religious, you're okay. That's, that's the danger and chaos that is this fractured world. He came to rescue us from, hear me, the nature of sin. And this is everything on Christmas. If you don't get anything else, if you miss everything, you got to hear this. He came to save you from the nature of sin. Now, Christ is Lord is great news at Christmas because now he's able to fix what we can't fix. He's able to reframe and rebuild what's hopelessly broken in us that we cannot change. Because sin is not so much an outward action, but a state of the heart that leads to action. 
And you can't change your heart. You can adjust your heart, but you cannot change your heart. You cannot transform your heart. And that is what the scriptures tell us Jesus came to do. Now let me just say why this is necessary. We are born in sin. Some of you guys don't like talking about sin. You don't like to hear about sin. I want to tell you it's incredibly helpful to hear about sin and even believe in sin. It helps you understand why relationships are constantly difficult. It helps you understand why there's wars and famine and strife and sword and pain. It helps you understand why things are not the way they should be. It helps you understand why you are not the way you should be. It's incredibly helpful and good to understand and acknowledge sin. It's why everything we hope will satisfy us always ends up betraying us. And here's the message of Christmas. Is fundamentally about worship. This matters because you and I are continually, perpetually, unceasingly worshipers. We were created to worship. And the scriptures will lay out two realms. You can either worship the creator God, which is, makes you a worshiper, or you can cre- worship what he has created, which makes you an idolater. And the problem is with us is we're born with the disposition to worship what he has made and not worship the one who made all things. And so we put elevations and expectations, and we put all these things on these things that that we try to worship that cannot ever give you what the creator alone can give you. And so what we do is you have this this, this crazy thing where where, um, we make good things ultimate things, where we do is we live for these things that are created. We live for our spouse, and we destroy them. We live for our jobs, and those destroy us. We think that the name brand on our shirt and the zip code we live in and the, and the, the place we're at in our job defines you. It expends all that you are. Your worth, your value, your identity, your very nature is found and bound up in those things. And the scriptures have a liberating message to say that's, that's not it at all. And as a result, here's what we do. We pour ourselves out at all those things we worship and place them on the altar only to be slaughtered. So you put your your family on the altar and worship it and destroy it. You put your spouse on the altar and worship her and destroy her or him. You put your job on the altar and you worship it. Why? Because you're expecting it to give you something it can't give you. It's not a functional savior. It was not meant to complete you. It was not meant to define you. It was not meant to do anything for you other than be used as a stewardship to worship the one who gave it to you. And so when we live that way, when we do those things, we live as though the created things are what we long for, and they get all the devotion, all the adoration, even at the expense of themselves. Idolatry, friends, is not where you cease to worship. It's where the object of your worship becomes something other than Jesus, other than the God-man, other than the one who made you. Your, your devotions, when, you're, when you take your time and your focus and you commit them to someone or something more than him, which is why the opposite of Christianity is not atheism, it's idolatry. But you've turned your worship. That's why I've said before, I love my wife, I love my son, I love this church, but the second I worship any of those things and make those good things God things, I destroy all things. And this is why Christmas is good news. I want you to know this. This is why baby Jesus coming and incarnating is good news. Because we don't need behavior modification. We need worship alteration. He came so you might worship him and see him and experience his life for your life. And his righteous life for your unrighteous life. And his purity that you don't possess. 
that all that's wrong in you, the worship issue that's wrong in you, he would fix by coming and being worshiped unceasingly into glory where every tongue will ultimately confess, yeah, you did it, yeah, you saved, yeah, you make right. Even those who don't want to agree with it. The scriptures say that's how it's all going to end. And this is why we are born believing that the highest good is human autonomy. I don't want anyone over me. I don't want any authority. I don't want a God over me. I don't want a boss over me. I don't want a spouse over me. I don't want anyone over me. Freedom means I live independently. Freedom means I live autonomously. That's what, what we believe. And that is the essence of sin. The Bible speaks of breaking the law. Yes, the Bible speaks of breaking commands. But ultimately, sin is living apart from God. It's not just action. It's a life direction. Some of you are saying, well, I mean, because you can live very far away from God, never cheat, murder, steal, and still go to hell. You're going, well, what sin did I commit? You lived independently. You lived autonomously. You lived apart from God. This is why you have this amazing message of repentance in the scriptures that says you turn away from sin and back, quorum Deo, to the face of God. Your back was to God, now you face God. This is why Adam and Eve, before they ever partook, they forsook. Before they ever had an action, they had a change in life direction. And this is why Christmas is reminding us that the sin of living autonomously, living separated from God, is the issue. And Christmas morning is the good news that says the highest good is not living apart from God, but fundamentally living under God. That that is good. There's a difference between an orphan and an adopted child, right? One who runs away, does not want a good, loving, helpful authority creator, and the adopted child that says, I can't imagine anything else. I want to come into this loving care. I'm safe here. I'm warm here. I'm helped here. I'm fed here. So instead of living autonomously, we see it good to live with God and under God and in worship to God, saying, man, I'm the creator. You're the creator. I don't know how things work. You know how things have always been. And this is good news for us. This is why for some of us, you are worn out because you're treating symptoms and not the disease. You know what happens when in the medicine world you simply treat symptoms and not the disease? You simply manage symptoms. You just keep going to new medications, right? Some of you guys are just going to a different religion, different religion, different belief, different belief, different church, different church, different church, different message, different philosophy. You ain't going to heal a disease. You need the right medicine. And that's why I love Christmas. It tells us that God knows your disease, not just your symptoms. God made a way. Education won't change your heart. Capitalism won't change your heart. Opportunity won't change your heart. The government won't change your heart. Relationship won't change your heart. Family dynamic shifting won't change your heart. Spiritual self-help books won't change your heart. All those things can adjust your heart. But they cannot heal and they cannot transform. Jesus alone does. And this is why right theology leads to good biography which culminates in doxology. When you, have, when you understand who God is and all that he's done, it leads to a good life, a good biography, which cannot help but re- culminate back up into worship, doxology. And the God who made you, and you thank him, and you worship him, and you're found in him, and you're free. Christmas morning's the announcement that we can be saved from being our own God to living under the true God. That's good news for those who would hear it. Listen, if you live as if you're your own God, you put a yoke on you that you will not bear up under. 
It will crush you, not liberate you. You got to figure out what leads to fullness of life. How are you doing with that? I have doubts. Christ knows. Christ has made a way. Now, in all this, some of you may be thinking, Christmas is just, you know what? I, I know others are wanting this kind of postcard Christmas. It's never anything like that. I'm tracking a little bit, Pastor. But for me, Christmas never brings joy. It brings consistent sorrow. Maybe it, it brings up memories of the a loss of a loved one or uh, just you almost have anxiety just anticipating Christmas, even Christmas, because of all the chaos that will be family. Maybe you got just other pains and plights that add to that. Can I just be so honest? If Christmas ever makes sense, it's in those moments. Do you know that? Like the elation of joy at the birth of Jesus. You know what was immediately followed by? Darkness and gloom and pain as Jesus looked to the cross as he was going to go be killed for the sin of mankind and all who would trust in his name. So in your brokenness, embrace the hope of Christmas. I mean, in your pain, see a God who cares, a God who loves, a God who's majestic and strong and mighty, yet, yet does not exploit his strength to crush you, but has meekness and, and comfort and kindness and forgiveness in Christ that he wants to not snuff out your wick. He doesn't want to further bruise your reed. He wants to heal you, and he wants to rekindle the flame. That's great news for anyone who understands that they're broken. It's not good news for anyone who believes that they're perfect. It's not good news for the righteous. It's not good news for those who think that they don't need help. It's great news for those who realize they have a worship problem. And until they have worship, alteration, nothing else will follow. This is the whole point of Emmanuel, God with us. If you enter this place with a limp this morning, you know he's not surprised by that? If you enter this place this morning with pain, you know he's not surprised by that. That's the whole point of Emmanuel, God with us. Hope for a hopeless world. Meaning for a meaningless world. Purpose for a purposeless world. Transformation for an untransformed world. That's what Christ does. So this is a season where we give gifts and receive gifts. And if you're a non-Christian, you know what Jesus wants you to give him? He wants you to give him a gift this Christmas. He wants you to give him your sin. I mean, what mercy. None of us are putting that on our, you know, Christmas list. I just want someone to sin against me. Man, I just, I just want someone to just commit crimes and belittle my name. I just, what mercy that God is not like us. That God says, give me your sin. I'm eager to take your sin. That's why you see Christ from birth through his life, to the cross and his ascension, confessing he's Lord, he's Savior, he's God. He cannot save you. Have no hope if he is not those things. So give me your sin. I'll gift you my righteous life. I'll gift you my perfections. I'll gift you literally all that you could not accomplish. I will rewire your heart, mind, and soul so that you are worshiping me and realign with how I created you, not with your back away from me, but your face towards me. And he offers that at Christmas. Isn't that good news? That's the announcement. That this God who was the very form of God, Jesus, who came in humanity, in total humility, all to result in the exaltation and praise of his name. Oh, would that lead you to worship? 
Worship is what will give you most joy, worshiping the right thing. You worship the wrong thing that constantly betrays you, that will constantly lead to loneliness. I'm not saying you're going to have seasons where you seem satisfied or seem fulfilled. That will eventually run dry. That stream will run out. I've seen it historically, year upon year, end upon end. He says, you eat of me the bread of life and never hunger again. You drink of me, you'll never thirst again. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but it's the best life. Come to Christ. See Christ. Let's pray. Father, could we take some space just to wonder and question and ask ourselves, do we know this Jesus? Do we know what is good news? Father, might you graciously reveal in our hearts right now where we are worshiping and what we are worshiping, what we are giving affections to, what we are giving accolade to, what we are giving devotion to and time to. And Father, I'm sure a lot of those things are good things, and it's not not giving to good things. It's about what is ultimate things in our life. Father, I pray that that would be you. Father, I pray that you would encourage hearts. I pray that you would, your Holy Spirit would illuminate minds. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us where we need help this morning. Father, in this space, in this time, God, it's very brief. God, for some here this morning, you have divine appointments. You've brought them here to hear a truth that redeems, a truth that frees, a truth that reconciles us back to you. God, would you help them see the reason they feel pain, plight, difficulty? Would you help them to see the hopelessness, help them to see the the disconnectedness, being because they have been trying to live apart from you, not with you and under you? Father, would you be gracious in forgiving sin this morning and bringing some into the family of God? Would you help us to see Christmas as beautiful and good, a message that's worth rejoicing and worshiping over? God, before anyone leaves trying to modify behavior, I pray you'd give them an alteration of worship. It's for your beautiful name I pray.